0: Okay, welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. It's 4.04 on this Friday afternoon, August 4th, 2006. Back in the mid-90s, or mid to late 90s, sleek-looking, zero-emissions, fast, totally electric cars started appearing around California after a few years they seem to disappear the auto manufacturers would have us believe that consumers weren't really interested in these vehicles so they quit making them is that really true that question and several others are addressed in the excellent new documentary called who killed the electric car my special guest today is featured in that film and is an electric car advocate and activist her name is Linda Nichols and she is the president of plug-in America We'll be talking with her in just a moment. I'll first remind you that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. Linda, we got you online? Yes. All right. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, so how did you uh, get involved with uh, being an electric car advocate and actually being featured in the movie, Who Killed the Electric Car?
1: Well, it really started on a very personal basis because I became the proud lessee of an all-electric RAV4 uh, vehicle. And uh, driving that car was such a pleasure that I immediately became addicted to the efficiency of the car, to um, being unhooked from the gas pump. So um, some of us got together because we realized that the big automakers across the board were recalling these wonderful all-electric vehicles. That would be Ford. That would be GM. That would be Toyota. Honda was involved, too. And we decided to collaborate and see what we could do to stop this wanton destruction of zero-emission vehicles.
0: Now, so you said when you first got your, uh, your RAV4, all electric, I want to make this clear to everyone, it's not a hybrid vehicle, it's completely electric, plugs in, no gasoline at all. You said it was so pleasurable to drive. Can you describe that experience?
1: You know, I have really never been a car advocate, and I found myself as well as many others of us in the organization plug in america that is the grassroots organization that attempted to and did save some of these cars i i found myself absolutely amazed by the driving experience first of all you, you get in the car you turn the key there's absolutely no sound it's kind of an experience like turning on a light switch yeah There's no vibration, there's no motor sound, and the car, no engine sound, I should say, and the car just goes. And it can go like the proverbial, bat out of hell. (laughs) The conception that electric vehicles are and have to be golf carts or neighborhood electric vehicles is really not true. Of course, those vehicles are out there and they serve their purposes. But my car and many of the rest of us who have RAV4 EVs, and we're lucky enough to experience GM's EV1 that is such a good, that movie, uh, you know, realized that they're, that these cars are so fast and they're so efficient, even though... Those particular vehicles represented 1990s technology. And battery technology is absolutely going through the proverbial solar roof now and will only continue to get better and better.
0: Yes, I will say you did give me a ride in your... Rav4 and yeah, acceleration very impressive. I'm actually a person who likes uh, sporty cars, cars that'll get up and go, and when, when you step on the gas and uh, it 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 moves. I mean, yeah, the, the notion that it's something like a golf cart is. Uh, Kind of silly. So let's um, uh, first of all, your organization, Plug In America. The web address for that is uh, pluginamerica dot right? Correct. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about that organization. First, I want to talk about the movie, and uh, yeah, Who Killed the Electric Car? Uh, you uh, got you were featured in there. They interviewed you among several other people. And can you talk a little bit about how you first found out about that movie? How they asked you to be part of it, and what you know about that?
1: Well, both of us who are EV activists were a- actually on the ground and part of the process that ended up uh, becoming this very compelling documentary. Uh, we are part of the story because we were the uh, people on the ground that were actually trying to save as many Uh, electric vehicles, fully functioning electric vehicles, uh, as we could, particularly the EV1. We um, all knew Chris Payne, uh, an EV activist, who became the director of this movie. And so he uh, photographed and witnessed, and his uh, video crew witnessed many of the actions that we went through particularly with G.M. and our 24-7 month-long vigil to try and save the remaining EV ones
0: Yeah, and it's a compelling story, and, and it's uh, it's really weird, and I want to get into this on the show, about the whole thing of how these cars started being produced and what the manufacturers were thinking and what they were telling us, and and what happened and why general motors got very weird about what they actually did with these cars um, i want to get into all of that first let's talk about why these vehicles are are such a good thing cuz people have a lot of misconceptions about them we already talked about the performance and that these cars perform quite well they they um, accelerate now the uh people the main objection that a lot of people have is that well, you know, you're still uh, burning fossil fuels because you plug that car in. That's being, that energy is being produced at a power plant where they're burning coal or oil or something. And uh, So what is the response to that?
1: What is so wonderful about a plug-capable car, whether it's a pure electric or a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, which I can talk about later, is that it means that you can plug into multiple fuel sources. You can plug into, uh, if the energy is produced by solar, it can be produced by wind, it can be produced by geothermal, it can be produced by hydroelectric, whereas a regular car, even if it's a standard hybrid, which is, of course, more efficient, has one source for its energy, and that's gasoline, uh, many of us have a great, um, I should say, energy equation. I will give you an example, using uh, you know, just using myself as an example. I have a, a solar photovoltaic system on my roof. It is a four point two kilowatt system. This system produces all the electricity that I need. And it's grid-connected, all the electricity I need to power my house, to power my car, and power my life. And this would not be possible if I were just driving a very efficient, say, Prius, Toyota Prius, which is a great car, but it's not plug-capable.
0: You still have to go and put gasoline you in it. You right? do
1: have to put gas uh, in that car, you don't have um, other options, and I love the options that being able to plug in gives
0: me. We're speaking with Linda Nichols. Uh, she is uh, with the uh, president of the organization, Plug In America, an electric car advocate organization, and she's featured in the mill in the film "Who Killed the Electric Car." And I want you went over that kind of quickly there, Linda, but I want to make sure that people understand this. You have solar panels on your house. You produce um, enough electricity t- to run your entire house and to charge your car, so that you pretty much never pay an electric bill or have to go to the gas pump.
1: Well, that that pretty much that that is a simplified way of saying it. Um, I plug in at night, which is uh, called off peak. Now during the day I my solar system, when I'm not charging my car, produces twice the electricity that I am going to use, and that excess electricity goes back into the grid. I guess it goes into my neighbor's houses <laughs> or wherever it's needed. I'm glad to be altruistic <laughs> in, in that sense. And so, uh, then at night, when I plug my Rav Four E Z in in my garage. I have, in a sense, banked uh, that electricity because I've been credited for it. It's already gone into the grid, and I'm really drawing down on that credit. So it comes out to be sort of a a sum zero, uh, if you will. Now, I am looking at an electricity bill uh, that's in front of me that was sent to me by Anaheim Public Utilities. I'm an um, Anaheim resident. And the the bill records my electricity bill for two months. Now, mind you, this is sending my car down the freeway, sometimes over the speed limit, 80 miles an hour. <laughs> I have a 3,000 square foot house. Can can you even guess what my electricity bill might be?
0: Well, I for a, a regular person, it would be uh, a. Hundred dollars probably, especially if you're running the air condition.
1: My electricity bill, the one I've got in front of me, says one dollar and 95 cents
0: <laughs> less than you pay for a, a latte at Starbucks.
1: And how many seconds at the gas pump?
0: <laughs> right, right. And, and you are, are putting no uh, extra uh, emissions into the air here in Southern California where we have a problem with auto emissions.
1: It just and imagine what a wonderful feeling it is to drive in a vehicle without a tailpipe because I know as I go down the freeway or as I'm in traffic, I'm not putting anything into the air to, to add to the problems that we have from tailpipe emissions, like the rising um, rates of childhood asthma, for instance. And I understand 100,000 people uh, per year in the state of California have very serious medical problems from this, and many of them die prematurely. It is wonderful not to be contributing to that.
0: Yeah, that that is really makes you feel good. Uh, let's get back to talking about the movie a bit, The Who Killed the Electric Car, which you were featured in. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson speaking with Linda Nichols, From Plug In America, and we're going to talk about she was featured in the movie Who Killed the Electric Car. Yeah, the. uh, I I want to kind of sum up one of the things I got out of the movie and kind of give it away a little bit because it's, (laughs) I mean, it's put out there as like it's a mystery, but it's part of the public record, and I want to encourage people to actually go out and see this movie and and see exactly what I'm talking about. But what I got out of that movie was that, okay, California. mandated that a certain, this was in the 90s, that a certain percentage of cars produced had to be zero emissions, correct?
1: Correct, that by uh, the year 2003, 10 percent of all vehicles produced should be zero emission.
0: Okay, yes. so if you were a manufacturer and you did that you would be fine, if not you might have to pay some fines or something like that, Or so the, the, the manufacturers were being encouraged to do this?
1: Well, it was mandated that each manufacturer had to start um, producing zero emission vehicles tell um, they got to that rate of, uh, at 2003 and they would be given credits for each zero emission vehicle that they produced.
0: Yeah, okay so in uh, all, most of the big manufacturers came out with these cars because they wanted to sell cars in California, you know biggest market in the country. And uh, so Toyota made this electric RAV4, which you have, and Ford came out with an electric vehicle, and Honda, and and General Motors came out with this really sleek EV1 that looked kind of sporty and kind of futuristic and kind of spacey. That's
1: because it was futuristic. (laughs) It was a wonderful car, and I had the distinct pleasure of being able to drive one of those cars for a week. A friend of mine... Uh, let me actually drive her ev once for a week, and that's what got me so engaged in this. And because I had the experience of driving that car, let me tell you, that, that little car literally could outrun its own shadow. It was amazing.
0: Well, I saw a few of those zip by me. I remember seeing those, and they were always fun to experience because they were so <laughs> totally quiet. And yeah, they seemed to move pretty, pretty quickly down the street. And I would see these charging centers different places around town. Got we still got one in Anaheim, but um, so th- yeah, so the the manufacturer started producing these and producing some really good vehicles, and uh, then it appears from the movie that some of the manufacturers notably general motors was kind of working behind the scenes to overturn this mandate so that they wouldn't have to produce electric cars
1: that's true they had a, um, a campaign i think the figure was they spent about 30 million dollars to lobby california air resources board in a very organized um, determined way so that they could revise the zero emission vehicle mandate in a way that it would not favor their production of electric cars, of course, thirty million dollars to um, auto manufacturers really isn't very much money, but it it unfortunately was a very successful campaign,
0: yeah, so once they got it overturned, then it's like boom, the cars they they quit making them and and General Motors not only quit making these cars that they, they had, and, and the weird thing about it is all along, they never let anybody purchase one. It was only a lease, which kind of gives you a clue that they somehow didn't intend these vehicles to be out there on a permanent basis. But so once the mandate was overturned, General Motors quit producing them and then said, okay, when your lease is up, you got to return it. And then went on this weird campaign of actually destroying the cars that of. Literally crushing them.
1: Uh, You might say literally crushing the competition, (laughs) because that's exactly uh, what happened. People became so attached to these cars. Uh, They begged to keep them. (laughs) They offered some of them exorbitant amounts to keep the cars. Even, as you saw in the movie, people with considerable power. Uh, Mel Gibson, for instance, was interviewed Alexander Paul, people in the entertainment industry, and um, GM showed no pity or remorse. One by one, each of these cars were taken back, and they were hauled to the Arizona desert, to the GM Proving Grounds, and they were turned into so many flattened coke cans stacked up like cords of wood, Uh, To add insult to injury, when people, when some people would take their easy ones into the dealership, a GM dealership, a guy would come out with a clipboard, walk around, the car, the doomed car in question, for every little thing or scratch, it would be recorded and... The uh, lessee would be assessed a certain amount, and if though and, it, and if the lessee did not pay what it was determined the damage was, and this would be just like, you know, any car gets normal scratches and dings. Yeah. They would be fined that amount, and if they did not pay, even knowing these cars were almost immediately crushed, this was they, it was sent to collection. And some people I know um uh, g m did win their credit or at least attempt to
0: that is really uh spirited, don't you think I'm trying to find a word even worse than that it, it's just really disgusting it, these cars that they were going to just take and just crush, and they were charging people for having scratches in them and so this is the weird thing, and it's almost like irrational um general Motors did not only not want people having these cars, they didn't even want people knowing about them. It's like, let's destroy the evidence. And it's just very bizarre. And can you talk about what is the reason for that? I mean, and they go into this in the movie, and I know you understand it a little better, is that I'm thinking when I first heard about it, well, you know, why wouldn't they want to sell these cars? They're still making a profit on them. So what's the reason for that?
1: Well, I think you could really... Sum it up by saying Jim pulled the plug on an electric dream. You know, I think they made a product that was so good it threatens the status quo and it thre- and it threatened the market.
0: So is it now? Is it true that they make so much more profit off of selling um, Suburbans or Hummers, and, and so they'd rather sell those that have a much higher profit margin than? something like an EV1.
1: Well, that's what I understand. First of all, big SUVs are subject to less uh, regulation. It is just easier to make a profit on it. And I think something you've also got to understand, as far as why these big uh, automakers and OEMs were so determined to get the, the cars off the road, is that... Dealerships make quite a bit of money, down sales profit, on all the myriad, hundreds and hundreds of complicated parts. Now, an electric vehicle has about one-tenth the parts of your average um, internal combustion car. It's just so much simpler. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I don't have small checks. I don't have oil changes. I have, I have nothing to do with the carburetor, and I sure don't need a muffler. <laughs> <laughs> and in the, the, this it refl- I'm not just talking about my experience, but it reflects many EV drivers' experience, including the EV1. There just aren't many repairs to be made. In the five years that I have had my 2001 Toyota RAV4D, I have had three flat tires, which I think maybe that's a little inevitable if you run over a nail. Um, Once I have some squeaky brakes, and Robert, that's the extent of it. And I'm thinking, you know, the automakers have never uh, come clean on this. We can only speculate, but it certainly makes sense to plug in America... Mm-hmm. And other EV activists that that might have partly been what was behind it, behind this destruction.
0: Yeah, that they, they did sort of touch on that in the movie, and that that is sort of making this more uh, clearer to me. Uh, that okay, even though they can make more profit with a big SUV, they they could still kind of jack up the prices on these EV cars. And and make a lot of money, but then you're thinking, oh, and you factor that in that these millions of dollars of that they won't be making on replacement parts because there are so few, uh, there's so many, uh, so so few parts to the electric vehicle to be replaced as com- compared to a internal combustion engine vehicle. So yeah, that that uh, now it becomes, <laughs> it's making a little more sense there. Yeah, so the. Um, the the uh, I want to go back to your situation where you said you 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 have your electric vehicle your your Rav Four. What is it now? Toyota they they were going to try to recall all of theirs as well, right?
1: Well, Toyota, like other manufacturers, did re- and I I don't think the proper word would exactly be recall. Toyota was um, good enough to actually offer consumers a window of opportunity where about 300 people were lucky enough to lease or purchase their RAF4 EVs under the retail um, program. That didn't last long, and it certainly stopped uh, in 2003 once the zero-emission vehicle mandate was uh, eviscerated. Uh, In my situation, though, I leased my RAV4 easy under Toyota's fleet uh, lease program through my husband's business. Now, all of those fleet leased RAV4s were subject to being returned at the end of the lease. The lease was not negotiable, although you were able to extend it for two years. And so at the, the – I knew that my car was due to be crushed, and it would have been crushed about this time of, or a little bit later, maybe in the fall. So that was one thing that really motivated me to get involved with uh, Plug in America and be a co-founder of that. We were able to – I guess the word would be reason – with Toyota and say to them, you know, Toyota, you you market yourself as being the greenest car manufacturer out there. It's a real good marketing tool for you and you make these wonderful products. But how can you, Toyota, in good faith and good conscience, take the greenest car you ever produced and crush it. So I think we kind of embarrassed them into stopping that behavior. In in the movie, I was featured along with another activist. We actually followed a transport full of rav for easy. There were eight of them. Uh, to a crushing facility. Uh, although Toyota did not turn into the crushing facility that's where we followed them to, I think they decided, given that and given a lot of the rallies and the protests we had in front of dealerships, that this could be a public relations disaster. And frankly, I think Toyota it just seems to be a more reasonable and a more progressive organization and decided um, they would revisit that corporate policy, and they actually invited five of us from Plug in America, which was called Don't Crush at that time, into their Torrance headquarters to sit around the big mahogany (laughs) uh, (laughs) negotiating table and actually talked to us, listened to our concerns, and said, okay, We will now stop crushing. We will uh, allow these fleet vehicles to be uh, leased in one year in increments. And if it is a very small fleet lease, you will will actually be able to buy the car. Well, let me tell you, the check was in their hand for my car (laughs) the next day.
0: So you own it outright. They can't take it from you.
1: Yeah, I framed the check. Okay.
0: Now, now, I know you say there's not very many replacement parts, but if if any parts do need replacing, would you be able to get those?
1: Well, this is a very sticky wicket for us, and that's one of the actions that Plug In America is involved with. We meet um, on a semi-regular basis with representatives from Toyota and um, the RAV for. Uh, EV representative, a couple of executives. And we are in the process of setting up an electric vehicle, um, parts, um, an ability to get parts, and also batteries. It has not been finalized yet, but we certainly are working on it. Also, what they have agreed to do, cars that are no longer considered serviceable, or safe, that they happen to get back from the fleet program. Instead of crushing them outright, Toyota will harvest the parts from those, those cars. Now, of course, our concern is, since they are no longer producing these all-electric vehicles, no matter how good and dependable anything mechanical is, eventually it's going to need replacement parts. Right. So that right now is part of our concern and part of our activism.
0: So, uh, of course, you would like Toyota and the other manufacturers to actually start making the vehicles again. But however, there are some independent companies out there who are making some now, right?
1: There certainly are. And before I I get to that, Robert, I just want to say that Toyota, at least, has taken the concept of something called a plug-in hybrid vehicle, very, very seriously, and instead said that they will be producing plug-in hybrid uh, vehicles within the next couple of years. And what that would involve is a, 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 a hybrid with a much larger, more advanced lithium-ion battery and making it plug-capable. And the beauty of this is we call that an electric car with an insurance policy. We're fond of saying because a car like that would be able to be plugged in in a standard 110 outlet just in your garage. At night, it's plug optional. You wouldn't have to plug it in. But if you chose to do so, You'd be your burnt. mileage would go to about 100 miles per gallon. And in these days of rising gas prices, headed probably at least $5 a gallon. This would be such a bonus. In other words automatically the internal combustion would take over when uh, the electric motor uh, was in need of assistance.
0: Right right. We're speaking with Linda Nichols of Plug in America and you can check out their website pluginamerica.com and uh, Linda was featured in the movie that's out now that I uh, give a two thumbs up to <laughs> is the uh, Who Killed the Electric Car? So, uh, and okay, so I said there are some independent companies out there now producing some electric cars, and there is this really uh, uh, marvelous one that I see pictures of on your website that I understand that you are purchasing or have already purchased for yourself?
1: Well, I can't really say purchase, but we have put up the money to be able to, within a year's time, be the proud owners. This is... um, It's produced by Toyota Motor. I'm sorry, not Toyota. I'm thinking Toyota. Tesla Motors. Uh, And this is a very sleek, sexy, um, convertible-type sports car. Uh, It's an amazing car. It looks a lot like um, a Lotus Elise. Sorry, I'm not real up on sports.
0: No, it does
1: but very low-to-the-gram, gram low slung. Uh aerodynamic. It is rated at a 250-mile range, and it's got incredible speed. I know this because my husband and I were lucky enough to go to the Signature 100 event where we got treated to a, a test drive. Oh, boy, talk about an e-ticket thrill. <laughs> Zero to 60 in just about four seconds. In other words, it's going to beat a Ferrari and a Porsche 911 right off the line. Absolutely amazing. And I think what's good about this is once and for all is going to put to bed the notion that I talked about before, that electric vehicles belong in a senior citizen center to get... Um, Senior citizens around to the next building. There's there's a use for that. But these cars excite the imagination and excite the whole electric world of possibilities.
0: Right, yeah. And, and uh, anybody listening right now, I encourage you to go to the website, pluginamerica.com, and you can see a picture of this car, the Tesla, and, and named after Nick, the company named after Nikola Tesla, the uh, visionary. Uh, Electric, uh, electrical pioneer, uh, on a par, or some people say uh, on a higher level than than uh, Thomas Edison. Uh, so much of what we take for granted today of how we use electricity was developed by Nikola Tesla. And so, uh, you know, that's a great visionary name to to uh, use for a car manufacturer who wants to look ahead and move us into the next phase and. Uh, personal transportation, but it, it, yeah, it's a very cool-looking sports car. I mean, it's like what we would call a chick magnet, you know, and you get in that car and you're going to turn heads, and uh, so, yeah, I check this car out, the Tesla. I
1: it, can give you the website for Tesla, too, if you'd like that.
0: Yeah, but give that out to people.
1: It is www.teslamotors.com.
0: Yeah, okay, so this, you know, what I've said about electric vehicles, and you and I talked about this off the air, is that to really get these things going and that uh, get people excited about them, you you have to make it where, you know, know, it's sexy, it appeals to to young people, and and I think most people, young people would look at that and say, hey, I want to be seen driving that, it's a very cool vehicle. And, and, uh, you know, maybe they could get a thing going where, they'd have some kind of racing series where they'd have these cars just all uh, pitted against each other and people could see wow these things go fast and, <laughs> and uh, you, you know that something like that and uh, I mean it, it's like we've got to do this ourselves got to kind of promote these ideas because uh, General Motors and uh, to a lesser extent Toyota are, are, are not going to really do this uh, get, get behind really pushing uh, electric vehicles
1: well you know I think one reason for this I don't think it's something that Detroit, perhaps it feels it is well-suited for. Even regular internal combustion engines are becoming more and more computerized. You take a high-performance electric beast like the Tesla, and it more nearly resembles a computer, a big, high-powered computer zooming down the street than it does. One of its uh, gas-guzzling Detroit. Cousins, and th- this startup company has is more Silicon Valley in flavor, and and many of the investors and the engineers are from Silicon Valley, so it it it, it just puts it in a whole different um, category.
0: Yeah, it it sure does, and and I think this will uh, make a big difference if uh, somehow they're not. Uh, Uh, I don't know, sabotage in some way, but uh, who knows what the... uh... No,
1: I don't expect that to happen. This is so mainstream. Of course, I don't have a crystal ball. This startup company has $60 million behind it. It's got some very uh, well-heeled investors from uh, Google, PayPal, PayPal, um, I, I I can't think of, of names right now but let me just say it is no ordinary startup
0: <laughs> yeah I, I guess what I said you know I thought about sabotage because in, in the movie who killed the electric car it General Motors actually engaged in it appeared to in self-sabotage in the sense that there was this wonderful character this young lady who who gets excited about the GM ev1 and goes to work for General Motors as a uh... Marketing person for for this right is that and, sales
1: uh, that would be Chelsea Sexton, and she was actually um, she was actually uh, what they called an EV one specialist sales rep, and she and about twenty other young, energetic people were hired and encouraged and trained by GM. Uh, to promote and get these cars on the road. And then little by little, GM turned on them and really sabotaged their efforts. And unfortunately, the, the uh, sales reps, the people like Chelsea that were doing the very best, slowly but surely, they were let go. And then there were none. <laughs>
0: It's a really it's 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 kind of heartbreaking when you watch it because especially this this young woman uh, Chelsea, uh, the, she's so excited about this and loves the vehicle and thinks it's you know not only a really fun uh, vehicle it it's helping the planet and this and that and excited about the customers who who were getting excited about it and and you just see her being sabotaged and it, it's just yeah I said it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking.
1: That's the We're for it, and it seems cannibalistic. You know, GM was in this strange position of producing this wonderful product, training these wonderful people, and then cannibalizing its own product. And I think Chelsea said it in the movie, you know, why, why on earth would you want to take a group. I think this is the first time in history that a certain specific kind of car has been systematically rounded up, like so wild mustangs loaded on trailers, and in essence taken to the glue factory <laughs> yeah. and crushed. You know, why would they cannibalize their own product like that? It, it's just, I think he used the word before, bizarre
0: yeah it, it seems kind of irrational but uh, you look at the bigger picture I, I I mean and these people I think they think old school and they think in a very uh I don't know I, I, uh, greed, greedy way is the way I would think of it but of like well it, we can make more money doing it the old way and and uh so anyway that that's uh, I, d-
1: I I like to call them fossil fools
0: <laughs> yeah, fossil fools yeah I was gonna say they're like a dinosaur. Uh, corporation and, and yeah, fossil fools. Uh,
1: they want to continue combusting in the Jurassic Age well into the 21st century, when it no longer makes sense to do so.
0: It may, yeah, it, and, and on so many levels. And so, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Plug-in America. You've got this wonderful website. I'm looking at it right now, and you got these pictures of the cars. You give out information and tell people why electric vehicles are are the way to go and and why, and and you address people's questions that they have about uh, drawbacks of these vehicles, and uh, what what else do you do? You get involved. I know you said you had the campaign with Toyota. Are there any particular things you're working on right now?
1: Well, just more globally, let me say that Plug-in America advocates the use of plug-in cars, trucks, and SUVs, which are powered by cleaner deeper domestic electricity, which will reduce America's dependence on petroleum and improve the global environment. Uh, We, in the past, have been uh, organizing, as with Toyota dealership demonstrations, as with our 24-7 vigil in front of the Burbank headquarters to try and save the last remaining 80 cars Uh, We have been involved in public education rallies. Now in our advocacy, we promote an organization called Plug-in Partners, which um, is an an organization that started in Austin, Texas, uh, to put pressure on big automakers from activists, mayors, and governors across the country to put in soft orders for uh, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. So that's one of our big advocacies. We ask people, normal consumers, to pressure automakers so that we have something called the plug-in pledge, and you can sign up for that on our website. But what that involves is telling automakers, when you go into a a dealership to buy a car that you're not going to buy another car until you can plug it in and drive electric only for at least 20 miles. Big automakers need to know that if they produce these cars, we will come, that there is a demand for it, and I'm telling you, it's getting easier and easier to inspire people as gasoline heads up into the stratosphere, who knows how far this is going to go.
0: Yeah, you're right. And we're going to be at $4 per gallon pretty soon, and as you said, probably 5 before too long. And, uh, yeah, so, so they can go to your website, pluginamerica.com. There are uh, petitions and things they can sign there. You give information to contact Absolutely. manufacturers, and you've uh, got something about the... Uh, CARB, the California Air Resources Uh, Board? You
1: should write CARB, and there's the contact information. The term, the acronym CARB stands for California Air Resources Board, and they are the ones that developed the zero emission vehicle mandate to begin with that got these wonderful cars on the road, and unfortunately then did cave in to the highly organized automaker effort to uh, eviscerate the part of the mandate that encouraged uh, electric vehicles. So they can write to CARB and tell them that they are, that, that they support battery technology, whether that is pure battery electric vehicles or plug-in electric vehicles. Uh, you know, also, there is a book that's going to be coming out written by one of our uh, members and co-founders of Plug-in America. The book is called Plug-in Hybrids, The Cars That Will Recharge America by Sherry Bosher, Tenet, B-O-S-C-H-E-R-T. That book is not out yet. It should be within a few months. And that book is, is going to be very instructive and very interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. People should look for that book. And we're talking about CARB, their California Air Resources Board. And in the movie "Who Killed the Electric Car," there you see some things going on with CARB that are very uh... disturbing. Some political things and some sleazy kind of backroom things that appear to be going on. And and one of the uh, people uh, was he the chairman of CARB that seem to have some conflict of interest. Can you talk a little about that?
1: Uh, That would be Alan Lloyd, who was, uh, you're right, head of CARB. Uh, He was instrumental in working, reworking the mandate to favor hydrogen cars. Um, You know, the sad part is that that law, as it was originally had stayed in in effect, had remained in place, we could have 600,000 emission vehicles on the road right now. Instead, what we have are a few very expensive hydrogen fuel cell cars, hydrogen hybrid cars. Hydrogen fuel cell cars are very futuristic. They cost a million or more dollars a piece. (laughs)
0: <laughs> doesn't sound too practical. It's 20
1: times more than you'd pay for a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. And what we found out later is that the, the, chair, the chair of CARB, Alan, Floyd, Alan Lloyd, was, high, was head of the hydrogen fuel cell consortium. He had, He really did have a conflict of interest
0: yeah that that was kind of uh kind of creepy and is he still with carb?
1: No, no, he left uh, I'm not sure of the month, but he's probably been gone about six months ago and he now is um an active lobbyist, which maybe is <laughs> what he was meant to do in the first
0: place yeah, yeah we see that in other areas as well. people go from being Regulators to lobbyists, and it's it's just it's it's very ugly. So, if, is there any possibility that California could reinstitute that mandate?
1: You know, we have Plug in America has a great deal of hope. Uh, in September, in fact, September the twenty fifth to the twenty seventh, California Air Resources Board is going to um, have what they call a technology review. And they are going to have another look at all these different um, clean air technologies, including battery electric technology, which would uh, focus on plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. They are also going to look at other technologies like hydrogen cars. But what we're hoping is that this time they will give... Electric transportation, a fair shake, and it seems to me, and it seems to all of us in Plug-in America, that the ground is literally shifting with all these things happening, with gas prices rising, with the Tesla coming out, with Toyota's promise of a, a, a hybrid car that will get about a hundred miles gallon or around that in a few years with a renewed interest in pure electrics and the fact that this is technology that works now. It's not some futuristic prototype <laughs> hydrogen fuel cell right. that is maybe 30 years out there. You know, it's like what I want to ask is, when can I, as an ordinary consumer, go into a dealership? That has hydrogen cars, put down my money, and drive away. When will that be? And I haven't been able to get a straight answer. And frankly, Robert, I don't think it's any time soon.
0: Yeah, it's almost like this is a a ruse, and this is to uh, kind of a not. uh, so, so you're not paying attention to these electric vehicles that are available now. The technology is there, and and uh, actually, and the technology is improving all the time on the batteries. And the, because that's one of the drawbacks, some people say, "Well, I don't really want an electric vehicle because it only go 100 miles on a charge." Can can you address that?
1: Well, you know, they're talking about the past. <laughs> uh, let me just say this, though. First of all, most people do not. Drive. It has been shown statistically more than 50 miles a day. Most families have more than one car. One of them could certainly uh, function as a commuter car. Now, the only car I drive is my Toyota RAV4 EV, but that does reflect 1990s technology. I get between 100 and 120-mile range. However, automakers gave up on automotive battery technology. Battery technology has developed at warp speed. They now have a new kind of battery. It's lithium-ion chemistry. Those batteries are incredibly more powerful and result in a much longer range. And a case in point is the car that we talked about, the Tesla. It is rated to have a 250-mile range. I, I don't see... What the limit is going to be, you know. What we like to say is that you know the electric the electric genie is out of the lamp now, and there's no pushing it back. Nobody's going to be able to push this back because it works. It works now, and it's getting better all the time.
0: Yeah, and the the uh, cost of let's. I know we've got out of time here, but real quick. The, the cost of running an electric car when you charge it up, how much is that costing you per mile or, or compared to you know putting gas in a conventional car?
1: Well, of course, it's not really fair to ask me. Yeah, okay. I've got <laughs> solar panels on my roof. But if I did not, it's about $2 a charge, I figure. And it probably would cost me about... Two to three cents a mile to run that car.
0: Yeah. So if you're saying two dollars, even if you're only going a hundred miles on that charge, that's uh, two dollars for a hundred miles.
1: Isn't that great?
0: Yeah. So, so. I,
1: I just can't help but feel smug every time I glide silently past. An Exxon
0: or a Shell or a Chevron—it's—it's hard not to be smart <laughs> Yeah, and, and okay, and you say it's costing you really nothing because you've got the solar panels. And now some people may say, well, you know, the s- solar panels—that's great—but I, I don't have uh, uh, twenty thousand dollars or whatever it costs to, to put that in. But that that price is—it. Uh, well, you, you and I were talking about this off the air. If, if they would just encourage home builders to to build the solar panels into the houses. The it would nobody would notice it because if you're paying a half million for a house, uh, an extra twenty grand is not you're not going to notice it.
1: Well, it could be built into the mortgage, and it's ever so much cheaper to incorporate it from the ground up rather than adding it as an afterthought afterwards. But I will say this: there are uh, uh, the utilities have incentives and they have rebates. For instance, when I installed my panels. Uh, Uh, The first time I installed them, uh, I got an $11,000 check back. So I ended up paying $10,000 for that. Uh, And, of course, it has long been paid for. It's it's pretty easy to repay that when you're using (laughs) the idea of not going to the gas station because gas is so expensive. So my payback period... Has been, very, uh, has been very rapid. Um, and I think something else you've got to remember, too, that solar panels add to the value and the resale of your house. If, if you're looking at two houses, one, you do not have to pay an electric utility bill, the other one you don't, and they're comparable. Which one will you choose? My car... Ha- my my house's value is increased by
0: $20,000. Yeah, that's another factor to consider. So this is all coming together, and, and, and I think people like you who are involved as activists are going to push this along even faster, and uh, I commend that. And, and so uh, it's PluginAmerica.com? Correct. People can go there. It's just all pluginamerica.com. All kinds
1: of videos and actions that they can do.
0: Okay, all kinds of things. You got all you've got information there, comparisons, charts, all this about electric vehicles, and but uh, a little bit about history. You have got a lot of cool photos, and yeah, anybody if you want to get involved, the phone numbers, email, everything you can get that there at pluginamerica.com. Any other information you want to give out, Linda? I uh,
1: I think that we have about covered it.
0: I think we have. So if that's a, they just go to the website, right? Right. And I uh, thank you that's so much. Step. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: Okay. Linda Nichols, Plug in America. She's the president of that organization. She was also featured in the film Who Killed the Electric Car. So, uh, and if you didn't know much about electric vehicles, now you do. <laughs> and I I think you maybe be more excited about it and uh, this could be a big step towards solving our problems with fossil fuels and uh, all of the things associated with that and the mess of the economy and the wars involved that uh, are related to oil and all of that. So uh, think about this. Yeah, so check it all out. PluginAmerica.com. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson. Uh, next week, I will have Smiles Lewis with me. He's been on the show a few times as a guest, a co-host, and uh, uh, just a all-around uh, comrade. And uh, we've, uh, g- we're going to be talking uh, next week about dreams. Consciousness and psychedelics. This is going to be a fascinating show. We're still working it to uh, all—the working out how that theme is going to come together. But it's going to be good stuff. But I'll encourage you right now to check out his stuff. In the meantime, you can find him at elfis.net, e-l-f-i-s.net. He's also at anomalyradio.com, and that will be a fascinating show.